So you're ready to ask the biggest question of your life. The only question before that question. How do you find the perfect ring to ask it with? With the incredible selection of diamonds at Jared and our price match guarantee, you can dare to stop searching and find the perfect diamond at a price you'll love. Visit your local Jared store today and dare to be devoted. We promise to match any price on a like loose certified diamond of the same quality from any other jewelry retailer. See jared.com slash price match for details. Hello, and welcome to Everyday Connection, with your hosts, Rico Shields and Jean Victoria Norlock, bringing your inner light to your everyday life. Welcome, everybody, to this Thursday edition of Everyday Connection. I'm Rico Shields, and I have over there with me, Jean Victoria Norlock. How are you, Jean? I'm doing great, Rick. How are you doing? Eh. Uh, 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 uh. What's eh? Uh? I'm doing okay, really, I suppose. Uh. The uh, I missed my uh, morning you know, dose of chemicals, and so, of course, my body is in strange freak-out mode. And, but it will calm down after a while. I hope, because huh. normally I'm heavily medicated for the protection of the masses, and uh, perhaps not so this evening. Awesome. So we should expect freakouts, flipouts, and otherwise entertaining, strange personality adventures. Probably. I'm I'm unmedicated where I normally am, and and you're having Good. wine where you. Normally aren't, so we'll just trade places, I guess. I, I don't Good. Know. So that's awesome that we're just going to, you know, our guests are going to be terrified. Our listeners are going to be like, what the hell? Because their hosts are drunk and stoned. Yay! Yay! <clears throat> but, what uh, a conversation to have on Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> yeah, on a spiritual show. Yeah, yeah, here we I'm go. A re- I'm a responsible spiritual teacher. Yes, I am. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio. It's uh. awesome. Yes, it is. Um, I was just having an in-depth conversation about the beautiful spider that has taken up residence in my daughter's room. Oh, who I've, happens to be Madison's ab- not fond. Oh no, not fond. I'm <laughs> putting it lightly. Um, she said, "Mommy, will you kill it? Mommy, will you take it away? Mommy, 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 mommy." Um, so I left it there, and I gave her um, the book that um, was sent to us, Twilla and the Bumblebee. And um, I made her read it, and she came back and said, "I read the book, but I'm still not going I to read tell the, book the spider. I, I'm not going to tell the spider that I love it. <laughs> no, I can't do that. But I read the book. It's a good book, but I'm not going to tell the spider that I love it. But I have left the spider there. I figure at the age of 15, if she really wants the spider to be gone from her room, then she's going to have to, you know, figure out how to move it away from her room on her own. Yeah, it's time for her to learn these sorts of things." I would think so, yes. And fear of spiders I don't get. but okay. Well, I used to have it just paralyzingly so, and uh, but it's gone now, which is good. Um, in fact, I had one with an egg thing in the, whatever you call those windows above doors. Transom windows, transom lights. They don't open, but like transoms are supposed to. But, oh, yes, you know, yes, yes. The yes. window things above the door. Yes. And um, I just... 
didn't bother her. She didn't bother me. I looked up and said hi every time I took Molly out for a walk. And eventually she had babies, and they all moved away. <clears throat> and well, I think so no problem. But, you really, know. Really, that's what you have to do. In the past, when I battled them, they just seemed to multiply. True, right? The more the more focus you put on it, the more of them there are. Oh my goodness! Imagine that. I can't can't imagine that being the truth. Wow. All right, law of attraction lessons out in the first three minutes of the show. We got it. Oh, we're done we're for the day. Good. We can do nothing now. We but say hi to our the rest of the show. Say hi to our good friends, supporters, family, and sponsors. Awesome. Before we, we get going. Sure. Absolutely. Um. We'll, we'll switch them up today, and we'll say hello to Inez Martins. Yes. Love, we love, will. love, Inez Martins. Love, 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 Inez Martins, who has had a, a fabulous week um, winning some legal battles. Oh, she got her good. business office in her home, which is awesome. Three-year battle manifested into a positive outcome. So, you know, that's, yeah. that's good news. They get, they get funny about that. And she's yeah. coming up not next week, but the week after. She's coming back to chat with us. To talk about animals. To talk animal about animals. Animal yes. We, we talked about human animals last time. We're going to talk about animal animals this time. It's very exciting. I think it's going to be great. I I think she's wonderful, so I'm sure it'll be great. I'm a huge fan, but that's, you know. And she's I'm been a huge I'm, supporter maybe, of ours, so. Maybe I'm biased. I don't know. <laughs> uh, we want everybody to go and, and visit her and support her back if uh, you are so moved, if what she's doing is in. Resonating for you, um, you'll find her at www.visionarylifeconsultant.com. Who else have we got? Then, we only got have a, two friends, so we've got we've got an animal of a different kind by oh, the name of just Bill. Just Bill hanging out at some place called Inner Child. Um, now, with the wow, first coming up, that means that it's it's uh, magazine publication day coming up really soon. So you might want to stop by www.innerchildmagazine.com and uh, set yourself up catch for a good March, read. Yeah, catch the March articles quick because they're going away in a couple of days. Absolutely. And, um, you know, get get your tea or your coffee or your favorite armchair. Put your feet up and get ready for some really insightful reads because uh, they they've, they've put together an incredible yeah. team of writers. On that the, covers the same breath with them. Yeah, yeah, I really. <laughs> but if now, if you're gonna, and I'm just, I'm just stunned at the company we're keeping in that magazine. We've got some incredible creative individuals working there, and they've covered everything from like deep spiritual insights to fashion to travel to. They've got a game section. I was going to say they have a game section, but you'll need more yeah. than tea. You probably should bring survival rations. I, yeah, you could get lost in that section for lunch. sure. But um, what an incredible, incredible creation from the inner child family. Not that everything else they don't they do is just inner super child cool. press, uh, inner child radio, inner child magazine now. Um, yeah, and and who knows what's next? So you know, it's it's a good time to look them up because they're always creating something new and exciting over at inner child. We should probably just reserve the URL the the. That address and save it for Bill, give it to him his next birthday, and that's would be www.innerchildmultimediaempire.com. We uh, really should. His birthday's coming up, too. Yeah, yeah. Cause, don't tell anybody. Yeah, it's a surprise. It's a <laughs> yeah, he doesn't know he has a birthday until no. we tell him. 
Okay. That's right. So it's a surprise, Absolutely. but no. It is. Um, He's too busy to remember that he has a birthday. <laughs> I know that feeling. Speaking of birthdays, we should uh, probably give a shout-out to um, our belated birthday guest from Tuesday night, Sierra. Sierra. Uh, special thanks to uh, Sierra for helping with the um, newly launched contest. Absolutely. Well. Contest? There's a contest? There's a contest, but we'll talk about that later yeah, in the show. We'll, because we'll take a break I think, or something to talk about contest. Absolutely, because I think our guest has But that means you can win passed. some people, so hang with us and you'll get the details on that. I think our our guest has passed the patient's test. What the patient's test. We put all our guests through the patient's test. Do you think he's passed? I think so. Mm-hmm. We all have right. with us this evening uh, Christopher Zilov, who has many projects in alignment with what we're doing going on mm-hmm. from he's green architecture cool and stuff. And he's with us this evening. How are you, Christopher? Very well. Excellent. Hal from Pennsylvania. Yay! All right, Penn's Forest represented the Keystone State. The Keystone State. I'm yes, going to ask you about that, that later. <laughs> I, I promise I will. Somebody remind me, actually, in case I forgot to ask you about the Keystone State and how that happened. But I have a very important question for you to start with, um, Christopher. First of all, welcome to the show, Thank of you. course. Um, secondly, who the hell are you and what do you do? <laughs> I ask myself that every day. I'll see that. That's a good question. Well, um, so I run a company called the Kenosis Project, and we're involved with three areas of research and development. The first one is educational film, what I like to call edumentaries, not to be confused with documentaries. The second realm is in book publishing, not to be confused with the web. And the third one is green design, not to be confused with blue design. And so we have a number of projects going in all three areas. been doing it for 20 years. And I have a new film out now called City 21, Mobile Perspectives on Urban Futures, as well as a companion book, City 21, The Search for the Second Enlightenment, which I'm rereading myself right now. No, so both of those are uh, recently out in the history of evolution, and uh, the film is going on national PBS very soon. Oh, that's so cool. So that's what keeps me busy. Plus, I live on a farm in Bucks County with a beautiful French lady named Laurent Chazang. And um, we're raising trees. Uh, well, the cool. trees are raising us. I'm not sure which one. <laughs> <laughs> and we have the solar-powered farm, I should say. Oh, wow. Very cool. Solar pump as well as solar electricity. As well as rain gardens. As well as bamboo groves, as well as living architecture surrounding an airstream. Geez, Louise, maybe I, our film crew should come visit you. I was say, we just we're in the all the places that we're going to go film. He's got them all it's covered just, right there. He there does. Go. We'll just go one-stop shopping at Christopher's place. Yeah. Well, right. 
also an adaptive reuse of a 1790 farmhouse, which I think is part of the green revolution, adaptive yeah. reuse. The greenest building is the one that's already built that you can adapt. That is Absolutely. such a sexy idea to me. Um, th- can you ex- describe the farmhouse for me? Because I've got envisioned this crazy stone farmhouse. I don't know yeah. if I'm like, way off the mark, but... Mm. Well, it's a classic Bucks County farmhouse, 18-inch walls. And here's the thing that's important. It's based on the golden mean or the golden section. And so the rooms are harmonic to be in. There's what they call harmonic resonance. resonance. And uh, um, the history that I've found out, that up until about 1820, most of the buildings built in America were based on the golden mean. And it was with the rise of the Industrial Revolution that that knowledge got forgotten. And so subsequent to 1820, our houses are not based on these proportions. Of course, it's related to the Fibonacci series and is related to the Parthenon and the Egyptian temples, how they were built. And so this knowledge is just coming back again in the last 20, 30 years. Some people call it uh, sacred beauty, the beauty code. And the green architecture movement is aware of it, of course. And so uh, we used to build this way, timeless way of building. So it is a special house. And uh, what else can I say about it? It's uncut stone, of course. Uh, 1790, they didn't have machine tools. So it's hand-built, and there's something about living in a structure built by human hands that's different than one that's built by machines and in six months. And of course, our ancestors didn't have as many distractions, so they were more emotionally connected with what they were building. And so these are uh, American uh, artifacts. At the highest level, there's also a bank barn on this property, which I'm very proud of. Of course, the barn was the first industrial structure in America. Also, the exemplar of organic architecture, which Frank Lloyd Wright was the progenerator of. Of the land, not on the land. Part of the land, not parked on the land like our McMansion virus. <laughs> and then the other thing about barns is Hollywood was invented in a barn. So there's a mythic building if there ever was one. Other than that, I am, so there's a short history. I'm really interested in, in my key question there in all of that, other than the fact that I love um, the look of old stone made by hand buildings. There's something really special about them. I'm really curious because I'm sure you've lived in buildings that were built, you know, during your lifetime. You've lived in buildings that were built in a more modern, in more modern times. I'm curious to know about the difference in the feel between the building that you're living in now and buildings that you've lived in in the past. 
Well, that's a big question. Um, as I was saying, buildings built based on the golden mean, there's more of a harmonic resonance. Um, some people call it uh, ensouling a building, more, more of a soulful building. Some people could say there's a temple in the house. In the house. Anthony Lawler wrote a book called The Temple in the House. So the house becomes your temple. Going back to the Greek word, Temenos, which means the sacred space. So it's more easier. It's easier to create a sacred space in a house that was hand built, and there was consciousness involved in the construction. And really, you can say a sacred space is any space that you can close the door on and be able to do what you want without interference. It certainly helps if it's based on the golden mean and you have a great view out the window. But uh, we can we can turn ordinary space into sacred space as well. But uh, you know the idea of the home is where you really can incubate and develop your full potential without being intruded upon by the powers that be and the consumer capitalist culture and everything that's trying to take you away from yourself. Which you know we call it, call it television, right? Right, right. They're trying to get it in the house so that they can get get across that threshold. But uh, but it's true. Home, homes, uh, even barns that were built, you know, in the 1700s were people would walk around on the property and they would look and think, well, it'd be nice to see out the window and see that and turn right. this this way. And now things are just plopped down in rows. And right. there's no hardly they don't even hardly pay attention to which way the sun's going to come in the window, much less what you're going to see. Right. Uh, it's now, a very sterile yeah. existence, it seems to me. That's changing with the green ar- green architecture movement. But I was okay. I was at a um, commemoration for a friend of mine who passed recently, a great man named John McFarland, and he was what they call a geomancer self-trained, but architects would hire him, and geomancer, like bibliomancer, is somebody that can go and sense the energy fields of a site and can figure out the best place to build and where not to build. And this is an ancient Celtic science that we've also lost, part of the lost tradition of Western knowledge. Some would say Gnostic knowledge. So, yeah, there's a lot of uh, knowledge that's coming back now that as we go into the history of human civilization, and thanks to the Internet, we can do that like never before. So, yeah, geomancy is a big part of that. So I have, a, I have another question for you, Christopher, because um, I had an interesting encounter today with my daughter's school secretary who called me an earth mom. And at the time it was such a positive explanation from her that she was like, you're an earth mom. And, you know, that's, you know, I can appreciate that. And I, it it took me a while to realize that even five years ago or 10 years ago, my daughter's, um, my daughter's secretaries at her school would look at me as being an earth mom and, and it would be a derogatory statement so now you've been doing this for 20 years, and obviously you're very, very in tune with the movement and how the shifts 
um, are taking place. Would you say that we have finally hit, you know, the apex of the of the cliff? We're going over the we've gone over the hill. We're on our way down the other side. It's picking up speed. And that's just my observation, but I'm new to this, relatively new to this, only three years um, that I've been, but I've been doing this kind of work. So I'm just wondering from somebody who's been in the business 20 years, what has been the progression that you've noticed and how much hope are you holding out now seeing what you're seeing as far as the green movement is going? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, certainly we're becoming a, planetary species at an accelerated rate thanks to the breakthroughs in communication technology, i.e. the Internet, and i.e. Skype like we're using now. So it seems that uh, the forces in play want us to become a planetary species. Technology is certainly planetary now, for better or worse. So of course, this movement goes back at least 30, 40 years. I had a friend here, Mark Kitchell, today who just made a film called A Fierce Green Fire, The History of the Environmental Movement. And it's a, it's a pretty long history. Some people say it really got going with uh, Stuart Brand when he made that button in the late 60s why haven't we seen the whole Earth yet? This is after NASA had been on the moon and had taken photographs of the Earth. And soon after, in the late 60s, they did release those photographs, which I think awoke, like no other photograph, the uh, human race to the fact that we are living on a planet. Of course, Buckminster Fuller wrote the book uh, Spaceship Earth, so there's the metaphor, Spaceship Earth. And other writers like William Irwin Thompson talk about cultural ecologies that have evolved in the history of civilization, starting with the Riverine, which goes back to the uh, Mesopotamia, Tigris, and Euphrates culture, where humans lived in river cultures, and that was a dominant civilization. And then that evolved into what he calls the Mediterranean. And he calls it a cultural ecology, I think is a good phrase. The Mediterranean culture of Rome and Alexandria and Marseille and Genoa, Genova. And then from there it evolved into what he calls the Atlantic culture, which was New York and London, mostly. I guess it started in London, that went, then went to New York and that's where the axis of power was, certainly financial. And now we're entering what he calls the biospheric age. And I think that has probably been going now for 10, 15 years, where the word biosphere has currency. And we realize that uh, there, we are living in biosphere one, and uh, biosphere two is pretty hard to create. And I think... The word Gaia, of course, is becoming more prevalent. So this is the evolution of uh, culture, and I think it's becoming more and more mainstream, and there's lots of reason to be optimistic, as well as a little bit skeptical in terms of the dominant paradigm. But I think 
the cultural leaders are are taking us to a place that uh, is our destiny, planetary. Some would say our destiny is to take life into other planets or intergalactic. That's another story. <laughs> I hope I answered your question. So I would say yes, I'm optimistic as well, and uh, as well as concerned. I'm I'm curious to um ask cuz I want to explore I want to explore that a little further just because our our own work um on the film is all about that optimist optimism but you know we can't we can't ignore the fact that there are still several challenges um ahead of us with regards to this movement because there's so much legislation in place around the world that could effectively stop a lot of these environmental eco-sustainable projects. So I'm I'm curious where your both your optimism and your caution comes from. Specifically, I think I'd, I'd like to start with your caution because I always like to lead leave it on a positive note. So I'd like to leave the show on a positive note. So maybe if we start with your caution and go on to, you know, your your positive faith in in the end result. But well, sound the question like- is obviously as we've learned in the last ten years in America that the dominant paradigm is not going to give up power easily and that energy regimes do exist and the oil companies in this country will spend millions on propaganda to plant the seeds of doubt about climate change when, in fact, most scientists, if not 99.9% of scientists say it is for real. And obviously we're willing to go to war for the control of oil. So there's a reason to be cautious. And the Republican Party in America is still saying drill, baby, drill. So those people still exist and want power. And um, so it's a history of humanity as well. People don't give up power easily. Um, I always liked Bucky Fuller's expression. He's one of my mentors, is that um, rather than make people wrong, it's better to make them ridiculous. No, I'm going to start again. Rather make the old forms wrong, it's better to make them ridiculous by coming up with the new forms. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly the paradigm um, and belief that we've been that we've been focused on because we do see that there's this massive global movement to come up with systems that will effectively replace the old systems. Um, without really much effort. It's almost like they're sliding in underneath and they're just kind of hovering there waiting for their moment in the sun. Um, And I I think right now, really, that the the key element to all of this is the people, the ordinary, everyday, average, run-of-the-mill Joe down the street um, needs to be informed that he has the power. And once they figure out that their purchasing power really has got control over what their future is going to be, I think we're going to see some massive major changes worldwide. We the people. Exactly. 
And, of course, when oil prices or gas prices uh, get over $5, like they're predicting this summer in America, that will be a wake-up call as well. And, of course, if we take peak oil seriously, that will be a massive wake-up call as well. So um, reality has a way of teaching us. But it's better to learn through proactive planning than emergence through emergency. Absolutely. We can wait for the proverbial shoe to drop, or we can kind of start to ease in another Buckminster Fuller. We can throw out the trim tab and just kind of ease in a different direction. Correct, yes. And, um, And that's kind of, it's one of the things that we hope to, donate to through this film is a change in conversation from we've got this huge global movement it, it uh gene was saying that you know wants a solution and and they do but for the most part the huge global movement right now is focused on the problem and would like to get them talking about solutions right yeah i mean there's two fundamental orientations you can have in life one is the reactive responsive where you respond to circumstances which, how, which is how most of us have been trained and how our educational system teaches us to be. Or the second orientation is the orientation of the creative, where you ask the question, what is it that I want to create? And if you ask that question every day, your life will be different. And, and I think that's vitally yeah. important for people to understand is that that's, it's such a monumental shift in perception. But if you're going to make that kind of monumental shift in perception, you have to choose it. You have to choose it consciously. You you have to wake up and say, this is what I want. Every day you got to choose it. Every day is a work of art. Every day has infinite possibilities, unless we're robots. And I don't think we are yet. Although I've seen seen some today. And there's... (laughs) Well, and there's some inherent risks in the uh, reactive uh, stance as well, the um, problem-reaction-solution formula uh, yeah. is is very open to uh, control structures. Exactly. exactly. You know. Who likes that? Create the pro- they, If you can create a problem, people will react, and then you can present the solution, and they'll think it was their idea. Right. And um, so we need to get off of that because that's when control structures truly cease to function is when we cease to react to problems. Right. It's fear-based. Right. Fear-based versus love-based in, right. in, uh, there you go. in creation. Yes. Which the military and the church to some extent, the government to some extent, uh, are very good at fostering. All right. You just opened up an awesome conversation that I've been dying to have and that none of our guests have given me a chance to do that except for my publisher way, way back. So let's talk about that. We're going to go to a quick musical break. Um, And then when we get back, let's talk about this fear thing and how to get a handle on that and not buy into it. Because that would be fun. Um, Rick, you got an Earth song somewhere in there for me? Got an Earth song in there somewhere? Well, actually, I was kind of thinking about playing the uh, Thrive theme. Oh, that would be good, too. In light of today's announcement that uh, beginning a week from today, it's going to be available free on their website. No Very more, exciting news for the Thrive Movement. No Absolutely. more charge. They have 
been given enough gifts and things that they can pay their people without having to charge for the film. So uh, I think that's awesome. And, Which is ultimately uh, where we all want to be as creators. We want to be able to feed ourselves and still be able to provide our, you know, creations done out of love to people for free. Yeah. Be able to do that with our movie if folks will give up front. That's what we've got the thing there for, the crowd, yeah, that's, crowdfunding. That's our but, but anyway, that's our movie. We'll let, well, let's play the theme from uh, Thrive because that's kind of what we're talking about tonight as well is – how is it we're going to thrive? We talk about that pretty often around here. Yeah, we do. Twice a week, anyway. Uh, At least. Well, we have musical guests now and again. That's true. But then we usually talk about it with them, too. Yes, so anyway, here comes the theme song from Thrive, and we'll be back in just over three minutes. Stay with us, folks.
from the movie Thrive. And to find those guys. guys. Jean? Nope, that's not me this time. Hmm. Okay, if anybody's got... Christopher, maybe you've got the show open? I'm here. Okay. Didn't touch anything. Hmm. Feedback we got going on. Yeah. Okay. See, there it went. It's that blog talk thing. Blog talk. Nobody's done much. It's there it goes. (laughs) (sighs) There it goes. So, you were going to talk about fear, change. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm just I'm curious because I I mean you don't do this kind of work for 20 years without facing a few roadblocks, I'm thinking. And um, I was wondering if we could get a, a first-hand take on this whole fear conspiracy deal um, from somebody who obviously isn't letting that idea hold him back. And, um, you know, I think it's important for people to get to let go of that because it this movement to suppress and this belief that there is a movement to suppress really does tend to lock people down and deter them from from stepping into the truth of who they are and taking action to make changes in their lives that will benefit, you know, their higher self. So what's your take on that? On fear? Mm-hmm. Well... It's a big question. I like big I questions. <laughs> I think there's the fear of not achieving your potential, which is a pretty big fear, but you don't want to be run by fear. I think there's a fear of uh, boredom, but certainly you don't want to be bored. I think fear is just uh, lower consciousness and a something that's imposed on us. And it's, there is the reactive responsive mode once again. And a lot of fear of making mistakes, I think, we get from our schooling. That's pretty obvious. When we know from evolution that mistakes are part of the process of learning, in fact, we should celebrate them. As uh, one great writer said, our mistakes are our portals of discovery. So that's a reframing. So, of course, you know, we live in a polarity. What's the opposite of fear is love. So how do you get out of fear? You come from conscious love. Well, there's a good term that comes from the human potential movement that I'm reminded of. You know the definition of conscious love? Um, enlighten us. Shall I say? Share with us and our listeners. I got this from Stuart Emery, who got it from some Gerald Hurd, I believe, was a writer from the 60s. And this is a way to go through life if you can do it. Conscious love is the impassioned 
desire that the object of your love, either animate or inanimate, it could be a, a tree, could maybe be a rock, but it's better if it's animate. The, the, the object of your love reaches its inherent perfection regardless of the consequences to the lover. That's a big one. So basically, you're, everything you see around you, whoever you encounter, you basically say to them, I want you to become all you can be. And if you become better than me or different than me, it doesn't matter. I want to see you reach your inherent perfection. That's conscious love. And if you really come from that space, there's no room for fear. So how's that for a way of operating? That's an absolutely lovely way to operate. In fact, I would hope that everybody I interact with would would be able to reach their highest their highest perfection because, you know, that puts me in a pretty safe zone. I, I know that if people are in their state of highest perfection, then all they would have for me is love and support as well. So what is what more safe place could you want to be than be surrounded by By well, impassioned, love-filled but, people. But fear and the survival instinct top up, you know. Uh, well, if I want my girlfriend to reach her highest potential and that means away from me, oh, I lose. I'll never find another love. Right. Oh, wait, yeah. Something like that, I think it goes. <laughs> and we get into scarcity mode, and scarcity economics is still dominant versus abundant economics, which is emerging. So, yeah, that's what we have to overcome. Another way of framing it is empowerment versus disempowerment. I don't want anybody in my space that's coming out of disempowerment. They're certainly not going to be my friend for very long. And as you get older, you get better at getting rid of those forces of disempowerment. But yet they are all around us. I don't want to name names, but we can start. Anywhere. <laughs> it's easy. They're usually handy. <laughs> they all live in Houston, right? Oh, we have lots here. Lots. <laughs> and uh, I grew up in I a rather well-off are... neighborhood, and I've never seen more fear about lack of money than I did in that place, where there was so much of it. I don't yeah. know. That's weird. People are under this delusion that it doesn't happen in Canada, but I'm telling you, we got some serious hang-ups over here as well, you know? <laughs> I can imagine. Oh, they're they're everywhere. We just like to talk about everybody else's. Right. As um, we do. Oh my God, there's not enough. Really well. <laughs> as Veronica is fond of saying, you know, what is it that's in your lap that you're reaching over to get a hold of the shoulders of the guy you're trying to wake up? Because <laughs> you're usually reaching right over something of your own. <clears throat> the big white elephant in the room. I hear you. Ah, uh, yes, the concept of lack. And what would the world be without it? Without the concept of lack. If we never learned what this idea of lack was, I often wonder. Um, I, I, I firmly believe that there's still tribes out in out in the rainforest and the jungles who've never heard of Western society and who've never heard of lack because they don't know what that concept is. They've never experienced it. Yeah, that's a good point. 
Yeah, the Native, Native we... Americans weren't very big on it. They they didn't have ownership, so there couldn't be lack. But they know lack now. Well, because now they live in a society with ownership. That's what I've heard said by some wise Native American folks is that before, you know, we didn't have this idea of ownership, so nothing could get lost or stolen. So we didn't lock anything, so we didn't and you guys came over here and started with the ownership and the fences and the look right. what happened now. Is this better? Yeah. And uh because it really I think it goes back to that and this will upset people, but you can have abundance without ownership. But uh and I'm oh not God. I'm not a socialist, I'm not a communist. That that's just transferring ownership from one place to another. You gotta have it or not, sort of. I'm not a socialist. I'm not a communist. I'm a realist, and I make sense. And it's just logical that um, and I, it, people really need to take time out to think about this on a larger scale. But really, in terms of everything you see within your community, there's more than enough within your community to take care of and provide for everybody within your community if it was equal shared, if nobody owned it. Human beings are not, I don't I don't believe they're greedy by nature. I think that they've been convinced that there's this threat to them that if they don't have more, that they won't have enough. And if, if you know, they had equal access to the all, then there wouldn't be this, this taking from others. It's it just it's so illogical. It doesn't make sense. That's a good point. It's sad uh, in you and me. It's both of us. It's we. Yeah. That's unitive consciousness. That that takes work to get to that state. All of what yoga is about. I had a good one about the Native Americans encountering the Europeans for the first time. I was telling my French wife that it was uh, 1607. In Jamestown, Virginia, that was the first settlement that we know about, successful settlement of the New World. There were probably other ones, but that's the one the historians recognize. And the historians like to say the Europeans came over here, they had nothing, and they wanted everything. The Indians had everything, and they wanted nothing. So you know there's going to be a conflict. And, of course, by the second generation, there was. So a lot of it is perceptual. And, of course, paradigms, again. Our paradigm shapes our reality. So I like the idea of pluralism, not just socialism, capitalism, uh, versus this or versus that. It's pluralism. There's room for all kinds of approaches. But clearly the dominant paradigm is private property and capitalism. So we have to work with that until we evolve further, and that's uh, obviously a long road. And a gradual road, we hope. Yes. And the powers that be, you know, if you, I, of course, saw Thrive and Foster Gamble takes a gamble and says, you know, the 1% elite are, trying, are keeping the system this way, and that may be true. Uh, the conspiracy theories I have some issues with because that implies 
intelligence conspire to breathe together, conspire, and I'm not sure there's an intelligence at, in that paradigm. So uh, maybe just habit. Some people. It, it think. also it also implies that we are powerless to do anything about it, to change it, and that's why I have issue with the conspiracy theories because I honestly, to this day, believe that the conspiracy theorists are doing more damage than the people who they're talking about ever could do just simply by spreading this this idea that this elite group of individuals has had control of our planet for thousands of years and we the peons who live on it can do nothing to change it it's um it's such a fear-based belief system that i Goodness gracious, we could so do without it at this point. We just it doesn't serve us in any way, shape or form. I concur. To me it's a lot like trying to find what is the problem with the current structure and we'll fix it, as opposed to let's just build one that's the way we like it. And we right. just ignore the old one, not worry about it. We'll deal with it while it's here, but then we would not worry about it. Just it'll go on its own accord. If we sort of go in a different direction. Sure, that's the idea of the transforming energy. People will move in the direction of the transforming energy. And if the transforming energy is with the new form, that's where we'll go. And the old form will just look ridiculous in comparison, just like the uh, old IBM computer looks ridiculous compared to these beautiful MacBooks that we're in front of, or at least I'm in front of. So there's an example. Bucky Fuller used to call it ephemeralization, doing more with less. So that's how the universe works, and uh, if you're on that curve, um, things happen in a more harmonious way, in my experience. Right, because all these conspiracy theory people that want to round up a bunch of folks and arrest them, and well, then what are you going to do with them? And, <laughs> and are, we, are we just going to trade one small group for another? That That's what seems to always happen right. in revolution. And that's why we've been bold and calling our movie that Changemakers are, It's we don't have the word are in there, but it means that. Changemakers are the revolution solution because people don't really want a revolution. They just want a solution. Right. Yeah. So rather than fighting and fighting and fighting and continuing to fight against this thing that we don't want and bringing more attention to this thing that we don't want, Let's focus our energy, our intention, our enthusiasm, um, and our everything on this thing that we want to see more of and watch it expand. Right. And that that's the whole point to the film and to a lot of the other work that we're seeing being done out there. They're really ignoring, it seems like they're ignoring the problem. But it's just simply that they refuse to acknowledge it at this point. They're like, no, we have a solution. We're not worried about it. We're good over here creating stuff, you know. And and that's the kind of people that we want to talk to because that's just cool. And I think it changes, like Rick said, it's about changing the conversation. Right. Um, so we've talked, we've mentioned our movie several times. Yeah, tell, I want to hear about it. Tell us a little hit. more about City 21. City 21, Mobile Perspectives on Urban Futures. So there's eight different perspectives that are featured 
in this film. It's a two-hour film, and there's a one-hour version that's going on PBS. It's in episodes, nine episodes altogether. There's an introduction and then eight different perspectives. And it's based on two key questions that drove the research. Question number one was, what are some of the key perspectives and initiatives shaping the 21st century city? And question number two was, what can we learn from the emerging eco-village movement? And so our approach to filmmaking is what I like to call heuristic film as a tool for discovery. These were our questions, and we set out to discover the answer in an unscripted way, which I think is more refreshing, and you certainly learn more. Filmmaking is a learning journey. This is not uh, something coming from central casting. <laughs> and, so, uh, and also we're into conceptual good news, but we don't have any scandal or uh, violence or anything like that. So they were the questions that drove the process, and we went to at least eight places around the world. So where did you go? Amazing. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. I'm interested because it's so in alignment with what we're doing. I mean, it's <laughs> I didn't even hear about you until um until we got well into what we were doing, but I uh, yeah, I want to know where you went and who you well, saw we and who you talked to. All kinds of places. Let's see the most far out place was Easter Island. It was the most remote island on earth. Uh 2-hour flight from Chile, Santiago, and uh, the other far-out place was in northern Italy, a place called Damanhur, which is an eco-village based on what they call magic architecture, where they built eight different temples underground, temples for mankind, without permits, and now they're looked upon as uh, cultural treasures in Italy, although at one time they were going to close them down so they didn't have permits. And this is an intentional community that created their own language, their own currency, and uh, their own art, of course. They also have their own constitution, do they not? Yeah, you're very good. I think they do. <laughs> and and, and I, I certainly, the permit question, you know, they tried, they did try to shut them down. Uh, once uh -huh. they found out what they were doing in there, they certainly would not have let them do it if they had asked permission. Exactly. <laughs> no, they had to do it first. They had to make it amazing, and then they had to make it so good that they refused to shut them down. Right. They didn't it's, want to destroy what they had created. It's a perfect. To me, that is a beautiful example of uh, Bucky's idea about just make something mm -hmm. else that makes the old one obsolete. They, it was right. so beautiful. There was just too much uproar. You can't close this. And so there they go. There you go. Yes, indeed. So that was the uh, the principle that well, we must invent a way to build what we want when we want, which right. came out of uh, an intentional community in Chile called the Open City. So that's one of the perspectives that we unearthed is the, the great things are 
done out of intention. They're not done based on the past, and they're not done because bankers will lend money in the conventional way. They are acts of imagination, as uh, Joseph Campbell would talk about the hero's journey. And sounds like you folks know about Daminer. I'm glad to hear that. We do. We actually we have um, we have uh, one of the ladies from Damanhur coming on to the show because we ourselves are planning to go to Damanhur as part of our film. So we find it really interesting that you um, that you're going there. Well, we went there. Yeah. Or sorry, that yeah, you were, that you, went, you there. went there. That's what I meant. That you went there. We're planning on going there. So it's it's an interesting um, interesting connection. Indeed. For me. Well, yeah. there's many parallel worlds out there. Of course, filmmaking is all about the magic synthesis, and we all have our own synthesis. Oh, and well, yes, we're looking at it from a slightly different point of view, perhaps, because we don't have the same questions to answer. And, and, right. Uh, right. Uh, it's like um, Mitch Schultz that was on recently that's turning loose of some hundred hours of footage that he took in, in uh, research and making of his film uh, and, and releasing them under Creative Commons uh, so that other people can play with them, um, he said, you know, I I can see five or six documentaries in this material, but I'm excited to see what other people see because they're going to see something else. Yeah. And he's right. It, it, it's Everybody has their own perspective and their unique little twist and gift to give on the subject. Indeed. We all live in our own reality tunnel, as Robert Anton Wilson used to say. So yeah, I hear you. Point of view is individual. Sometimes collective, but rarely. Well, there's just even the, you know, looking at the same object, it, it everybody sort of gets their own, gets their own take on it. And, uh, right. Uh, well, that's but, the big uh, question of uh, quantum physics. Is there an objective reality outside of human consciousness. Absolutely. Which sounds like a philosophical question or a metaphysical question. It is. It's all of those things. It is. Uh, Quantum physics says that no. There's not. The observer affects the observed. Nobody, we don't see the same reality. (laughs) Which metaphysics has said at least in some branches of metaphysics, have said for thousands of years. Right. Nice nice when a plan comes together. It just, boy, it took a while and almost blew up in the middle, but... Yeah. So we all have our own take on reality. And as uh, Robert Anton Wilson also said, perception is a gamble. And so we got to try and uh, fine-tune our perceptions so that we see reality in a empowering way. That's another question, of course. What before we leave the topic of Mitch turning off and turning loose all of this footage, I see that uh on the City Twenty One website you've got outtakes from film research that look to me they total up to probably four hours of stuff. Oh yeah, I didn't talk about that, the the extra content. Yes, of course, this was a seven-year journey, at least, and um, lots of stuff ends on the cutting room floor, and lots of stuff uh, could be its own film. So we have four hours of extra content, 
which are interviews, extended interviews with characters that didn't make it into the, the final piece. One of the best ones is with Paolo Lugari, the founder of Gaviotas, which is an amazing story in Colombia, the first post-petroleum village in the New World. And uh, we didn't find him until the end of the filmmaking process. That's always something that happens. At the end of the film, you find all this stuff. Oh, wow, we had more time we'd included. But... If, I, if I'd only known this, I'd have made a whole different movie. Yeah, yeah. Eventually, you got to stop. Oh, I hear you, man. We're having trouble wheedling it down with just the the information that people are bringing us now. Right. Um, it's like, ah, we got to pick and choose. What? There's every there's time that literally I... thousands of people out here, out out yeah. there, doing this kind of work, and it's so exciting. And oh my goodness, I want to talk about them all. But <laughs> yeah, every time I say to Jean that, okay, next week's when we nail down the locations and. She's like, but but if we but if it's in the same country, yeah, Gene. <laughs> well, you got to serve the narrative. You know, seven's the magic number sometimes, or you know, by creating limitations, it forces you to be more con- more concise and inspiring. But that's the art form of filmmaking. There's no science there. You just have to find what inspires you. We've really had to um, fall back on to the synchronistic elements of sure. everything and that what, which people came when and how does their story align with the other stories of the other people that we've already, you know, agreed to have in the film. And I think that's... Um, well, and does it kind of just move along as opposed yeah, to being like I, pulling teeth? There's one I really wanted to go talk with. Uh, the barefoot folks over there, right. but, but it's been like pulling teeth, so it must. Yeah, not and and the author there, says that it really needs to flow. I mean, it, if a book should flow when you read it, then I would think that a movie, documentary, um, film should flow when you watch it. So I can't write a script for a film if it doesn't flow. So I've had to really take a step back, even though some of these places are so exciting and I so want to talk to them, I've had to kind of step, take a step back and go, well, I can always ask them to come talk on the radio show instead. Right. You know? Yeah, and then we can always make... The, sorry. Well, I'm sorry. We can always make the big list for what we're going to film in the next film. Whether, <laughs> whether there ever is one or not, we can make a list. Sure, sure, sure. It's fair to have an abundance of material. And there's always the companion book and extra content now, so there's other places they can go. Right. They don't make the uh, the central narrative. So um, we'll take another quick break, and then when I come back, um, that leaves us with an interesting topic to discuss as well, which is how much filmmaking has changed since you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, when you didn't have that opportunity to release this extra content or to open up this conversation and creative commons certainly didn't exist. So um, I don't know if Rick has a Rick has a song for us, and then Sounds when good. we get back, we'll have a quick... Okay, what are we going to have? Uh, we've got uh, Earth Prayer. That's five I, minutes. Oh, wow. Okay, but sure. That's, that's about right. Or limitations. We got Jordan doing limitations for about four minutes. 
I'm in the mood for Earth Prayer. I wanted okay. it the first time. <laughs> I was that I got that loud and clear over the uh, extra net, we'll call it. Right. All right, folks, we'll be back in just over five minutes. Stay with us. Creator of all things, of the West, 
burning elder and the south, our mother's womb, toils above and below us to the seen and unseen. Those who have walked before and after, we ask your assistance to live simply. Please forgive us, for we know not what we do, and we thank you for all you help us. www.nv.com. Oh, yeah, you got the echo too. All right, blog talk. Blog talk, bad blog talk. See? Take a deep breath. It's all, it's all better. It's all better now. Yeah, you just have to talk to it and acknowledge that it's a, it's a conscious presence, and then it, it plays. It plays nice. <laughs> Thank you, blog talk, for allowing us to do this show. We appreciate you. We really do. the The internet and all of its tools have become quite a a driver for change, in my opinion. Get we Absolutely. the people talking to each other, and Absolutely. pretty quick they find out it's all we. Where's the? It's all a hundred percent. Where's the? What? What? It's kind of like that picture of the three Labrador retrievers. Yeah. Black lab, yellow lab, and a chocolate lab, and the yellow lab's like okay. But we're different. How? Explain it's, that to us again, because we don't, we don't get understand. And, and they look identical, yeah. except for the color. You except know. For the color. Yeah. Um, so that was quite nice. It is what it is, you know. And um, things things are changing because of our ability to mass communicate on a global scale. It's changing not just our ability to have conversation, but it's also changing. Um, Independent art. It, it, it's giving the independent artist and creator a new palette well, you know, to paint from. A way to connect back directly to their audience, like yeah. they used to when they were wandering minstrels and Absolutely. they were right up in person with their audience. And uh, yeah. and this research and do it yourself movement, as one uh, uh, one of the online presences has called it, where they. People just put their plans for a good idea. DIY. Yeah. They just put their plans for a good idea that they, you know, probably could patent and make money from. And they just put it out there. And then other people see it and try it and they have an idea and they put their idea on the website and then 
pretty soon you're on like revision number three and you've got something that's been researched and developed far faster and way far cheaper than quote corporate world could do it or at least does do it i think they could do it cheap cheaply we've been these groups prove that but um, anyway that's was just going to be my thing on the pitch for the contest and the uh movie and the whole deal. <laughs> what's what's going on here? Uh, okay. <laughs> Sorry, my computer was making funny noises. What's it? Is it talking to you? It does that sometimes. It does. I know. So, so Jean. Chris, Oh, so Gene. Well, I was going to ask Chris what his take is on um, the changes that have occurred in uh, filmmaking. You mean the digital revolution? Yeah, the digital revolution. What's your take on on the direction that that's taking independent film and independent music? Well, all technology is a double-edged sword, as they knew way back in the Palace of Kenosis. So, of course, the positive side is uh, rather flourishing in terms of what you can do now and how you can edit with your computer and how you can make it available in so many different ways. And, of course, I applaud that. Um, The downside, of course, is what I call the YouTubization of filmmaking, where there's a lot of stuff that's put up there that I think diminishes Filmmaking, which is an art form and takes work and effort. And so people think it's just normal. You can watch a, a movie now when you get your gas, when you're filling your gas or advertising. It becomes ubiquitous to the point where perhaps we don't appreciate it as much, although I hope not. But mostly it's a liberating force and it's part of this. Uh, ephemeralization that the digital age is bringing us and this abundance that allows us to basically it's become a painterly medium where you can create and recreate and cut and paste and make changes like never before and of course less cost than ever before my first film ecological design inventing the future made way back in 1995, was shot on 16mm. And there we had uh, film rolls of 10 minutes, and you had to change the camera in a dark space to do that, no less. And, of course, uh, editing was more like sewing machine technology and didn't give you the flexibility to uh, put together multiple scenarios. So it's a big revolution, and uh, the only downside is that um, perhaps, not only got to be careful what I say here, the only downside is that uh, you have to distinguish yourself in unique ways, and that um, perhaps people aren't you know, don't want to pay for your film. And as an independent filmmaker, 
just like a musician, you obviously have to get a return on investment. And a lot goes into it. And, you know, now the Internet, everybody thinks that everything's free. Well, I don't know. I mean, the Rolling Stones didn't make their music for free. And uh, so I think we have to pay the artist and the filmmaker in order to allow them to keep going. And that brings up a really interesting, a really interesting question because um, I've, I've been thinking a lot in those terms lately because we're embarking on this adventure um, and, and we're perhaps not going through our getting our financial support in the traditional manner because we're relying very heavily on crowdfunding for the moment. Um, when is it appropriate to take this switch over from the big corporation paying the film guy to make the film so that they have somewhere to promote their product to the person who's watching the film, the independent, um, you know, independent individual to independently support the independent film producer and make that direct contact between the person watching and the person who's making the film. Because you're right, the people who make the films, this is not something that's done overnight. This is, it, I mean, this is months, sometimes years, years of work that goes into creating these things. And it's not just the 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 work that goes into the actual filming and the editing, but I mean the actual preparation in and of itself and the research is insane. The time that it takes to put this all together and to plan it. Um, And your humble filmmakers need to eat while they do all that. You need to eat while you're doing all that, right? So, so where, where is this line drawn between, and you're right, there is this belief and, and I've been thinking about it a lot. I've even written about it. Um, Another one of our guests had brought it up, thankfully, so I was able to explore it a little bit. But there's this belief out there now that everything out there should be free. And to me, that's an unfair assumption. I don't think that's fair to the creators who are putting in the time and the effort to make these these amazing pieces of art. Right. Information wants to be free, but information wants to be expensive as well. And maybe if you produce art, it's based on knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. And that's never free. That takes effort. So information, if you want to know the score of the baseball game, that's free. But if you want to put together put together a story of the history of baseball, that's not free because that takes an effort to do. And I think, obviously, the customer and the audience needs to realize that just like in the music world, they you know, you can't get the latest Coldplay song for free. You have to pay something for it. Um, but it is an issue that uh, I think uh, needs to be dealt with. So do you think there's an opportunity now for us to grow and expand beyond our current understanding of how an artist can get paid? I mean, now we have crowd crowdfunding opportunities. We have opportunities thanks to donate buttons and PayPal and all this this other yeah. fun technological um, stuff for the creators to connect directly with the people who are watching these films. 
can we now get to the point where we can bring this this conversation up to mainstream and cut out the middleman and just talk to the guys who want to see these you know they want the entertainment we want to create it and give it to them why can't they pay us directly as opposed to paying the marketing guy the promoting guy the you know the managing guy the distribution guy and eventually it's going to get back to the guy who wrote the script yeah well, I mean, you can now, but it's microcast. They have to know where your website is to get there, and then they have to plug into PayPal to pay you. Broadcast, which goes out to millions, where the big money is, is still controlled by the corporations and probably always will be. So once again, it's pluralism. There's more channels available than ever before which is good, so it's not either or, it's, it's both. And so you got to kind of find your your audience. And, of course, when you make a film, there's multiple returns on investment, not just financial. Of course, you meet new people, you develop new knowledge, you develop uh, new products, and it leads to the next thing. So there's many benefits. So, of course... You have to have a strategy that includes a return on investment. And um, the middleman is not going to go away completely, but maybe diminished in power. Because you can't broadcast a film without dealing with a television or a film distributor. Right. But of you can microcast. And I mean, obviously, what the uh, Foster Gamble is doing with Thrive is setting a new paradigm. Of course, he's not your normal filmmaker. <laughs> right. No, he had the money to start with. Um, although, you know, in we all We might fairness, change the thing or two if we won the lottery tomorrow to fund the film. As yeah. Well, so. <laughs> but in all fairness, when we did speak to him, I, I believe we, talked on this, we touched on this subject as well. I mean, they spent, what was it, 10 years in the making of Thrive? And all he wanted was he didn't want a lot of money in return because he doesn't particularly need it. He just wanted a token something of appreciation for the time and effort that was put in to well, an exchange, to have this ongoing really. web presence with solutions, and he wanted to right. pay the people to do that. Right. Yeah. Um, um, so it was an exchange, really, of energy that he was asking for. Uh, and That's the key. That goes back to uh, human potential movement and the law of exchange, which is what keeps business honest. The law of exchange basically is that in the long run, your rewards equal your service. So that's the spiritual principle that keeps business honest and thriving. So think about that. Your rewards equal your service. And that's... uh, I think pretty much true. I think so. I think that's part of what's causing so much turbulence in the corporate world right now is that it's quite obvious to a lot of people that the rewards are not equal to their service. Correct. And then that's the phenomenon of greed. Right. And then there's coming the Occupy reaction, and and it sounds like that you and... Those of us here at Everyday Connection are hopeful to get uh, people off that problem-reaction treadmill because it is a treadmill. It doesn't go anywhere. 
Right, and we can build our micro world where that doesn't exist. Like never before, we can build these digital utopias. Um, but of course, uh, that has to get larger and larger than just your own little circle. I think, I think it's really exciting that we can do that, that we can build these um, cross-continental virtual families, virtual if you will, yeah. partnerships, yeah. communities, where we can l- quite literally support each other through mutual promotion and, you know, I mean, mutual cooperation, collaboration, yeah. a sharing of creation and that's how it gets bigger because my little group that sees my stuff you know I show them your stuff and you take my stuff and you show your little group my stuff and I think everybody who's doing that right now is really opening up um, a world of information to people who might not necessarily have had an opportunity to see into that that dimension that's within our reality right at the moment. It really is the Harry Potter scenario. There's this magical realm that exists on our planet that very few people know about. We know about each other, and we're functioning fully and creating constantly and supporting each other always and um, supporting the rest of the planet as well. And now the rest of the planet is finally starting to get a glimpse into that. And it's it's um, wow to the future that's gonna you know sure. gonna be coming our way. Multiplier effect indeed, and this is a real gift of the technologists that have brought us this world. Of course, coming out of the hippie movement in the '60s, and uh, let's not forget the great Arab American Steve Jobs, and let's not forget algorithms, which also the computer world would not exist without that understanding also came out of the Arab world. So it really is multicultural and that uh, uh, Fuller would say that this is evidence that the uh, uh, world is heading towards a place where it works for 100% of humanity. The technology is there for that to happen. That is our destiny, I believe. And at least the physical mechanical mechanics of life. Um, that's a that's a worthy goal to get towards. And uh, the technology is is amazing what it can do. It just keeps blossoming every day. And of course, it's how you use it that counts. Oh, absolutely. And I think everything's a double-edged sword. Everything everything contains within it what's wanted and unwanted from it. <laughs> it's all how you see it. Yeah, speaking, you got of, that right. speaking of seeing it, uh, I put your links to a couple of your websites, uh, uh, the Genius Loci and City 21, into the chat room. Uh, but for our podcast listeners who may be away from a screen, uh, tell them where they can find more information about uh, what you're doing and about your film. Uh, I guess there's uh, going to be uh, announcements coming about uh, dates and things for the PBS yes. airing. Yes, indeed. Well, the main website is city21.info that's where you can see the trailer of the film and read about the uh, the book as well as the conceptual overview of the film and then the uh, website for my other work is 
GeniusLoci.com. And then there's a third website, DesignOutlaws.org, which was a companion book to the ecological design film. And so that's where you can find me on the web. Beautiful. And, uh, of course, you can follow up from there. Well, and we uh, encourage all of our EC family to uh, stop by and have a look. And, of course, we'll have all those links on the archive of the show that will be up here within an hour or so uh, afterwards. Uh, you were going to ask me about the Biosphere Project in Montreal, I hope. Yes. Oh, my goodness. I almost forgot about the Biosphere Project in Montreal, and it's right in my backyard. Um, yeah, let's let's um, extend the time a little bit and talk a little bit about that. Oh, we have time. Yeah, we absolutely we have do time. have time. Yeah, absolutely, because that's a really interesting project. Um, interesting because the first time I ever heard of Buckminster Fully was actually in the biosphere in Montreal. Um, and yes. and I'm a huge Bucky fan now that I know who Bucky is. And yeah. I fell in love with Buckminster Fuller in the biosphere. Well, you should. He was. A, they have a Bucky uh, room. <laughs> Right, Leonardo da Vinci of the 20th century, many people say. It's the Expo 67 Dome in Montreal that you're talking about. Um, So out of the film City 21, actually one of our first screenings was at McGill University in Montreal. And um, so we were taking a tour of the beautiful and fair city of Montreal I think the day after the screening, and of course we went to the old World's Fair site, and I think that you call it Il St. Helena, where that island is. Yes. All the great things happened, and we noticed that when it got dark in Montreal, the only thing you could see on that island was the French pavilion that looks like a gyrating uh, strip show type sign. <laughs> I think it's a casino. Uh, yeah, the only thing you can see at night, or the the most prominent thing at night, is the casino. Yeah. <laughs> and what kind of symbol is that for the fair city of Montreal? Not so much uh, when you consider it's a very artistic community. I mean, if you talk yeah. to the people here, they're all into something artistic. So for for the casino to be their prominent feature at night is... Maybe something, a little embarrassing. A little odd, but there yeah, it is. Missing from that uh, story there. So, of course, the idea popped in our head that why isn't the biosphere lit up at night? And, uh, well, we inquired, and, uh, of course, there's a hundred reasons, but the other idea that came in our head is, well, let's light it up. And with a new LED technology where you can, uh, every connection in that 250-foot-in-diameter dome can be lit up. Imagine a cobalt blue skyline or uh, a dome lighting up every night. And, of course, even with the technology, you can have messages be relayed with this LED. The technology of the Goodyear blimp shows that you can do that. And ha- let's have that be the symbol of Montreal the emerging Gaia consciousness, the biospheric understanding, the geodesic understanding. Why cannot why why isn't that the symbol of Montreal just like the Eiffel Tower 
is the symbol of powers, which, by the way, is a great example of how to light up a monument at night. Absolutely. Every night at midnight, they have this laser show that goes on from the beautiful Eiffel Tower. Yes, the Eiffel Tower has it going on. <laughs> For sure. Why can't Montreal? You're all French anyway, right? Absolutely, they are. There, there is uh, no greater French culture in Canada than the ones in Montreal. Oh yeah, okay. And they are yeah, very passionate about their. <laughs> now you should write a letter to the editor. Your your mission, should you choose to accept it, Jane, is to get the biosphere lit up at night. Yeah, so we well, need to keep this. We have a website. If you contact me um, through city21.com, I'll send you the link. And I'm working with someone named Peter Kettenbeal, who's uh, involved with Net Zero Cities uh, in Montreal. And he's working the inside of Montreal, but it's a little slow. He complains about your prime minister. <laughs> and uh, he complains about <laughs> the city of Montreal, which owns the dome right now. And there's probably funding issues. And what we want to do is organize a charrette with maybe uh, six to seven people to come in and figure out what it would cost and what are the coolest designs that could be brought forth to make this happen. And so uh, we'd really like to do it in the next year or two. And uh, the technology is there like never before, so it's a matter of social will right now. I guess the power of media is the way to get the word out. Right. It's 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 a matter of getting the right people together. Yes. To, um, yeah. to work on this project. Let's call the founder of Cirque Soleil. I was just, you know what? That's really funny that you say that because Cirque was the first thing in my mind. Um, Cirque Soleil work with some of the most talented people um, when it comes to lighting. Be- because of their show and the demands on them to perform in some of the most crazy. And they could do this with LEDs for very low energy consumption. Yeah. yeah. And That's the idea. It could also be powered by renewable energy. Right. But yeah. The other thing is there's, there's this huge, um, there's this huge open vast space within the um, dome for there to be, solar panels or or some other kind of renewable energy set up on the roof of the dome that there's this huge vast open space that's not really being utilized to its full potential. It, so, I mean, you have to visit the dome to actually understand it, Rick, but once you go up on the roof, there's there's all this space that you could use. Yeah, yeah. Sol- yeah. Solar panel that up and you could light it quite easily. So Tell that you what, you get some artists to come up with some creative, you know, representations of how this is going to look un- under a few different designs, and you 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 pump those out there, and one of those pictures goes viral, and that's how that happens these days. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, it, it 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 does. I mean, all of a sudden, everybody around the planet's tweeting about it, and then boom, it happens. It's a uh, yeah. it's a it's an oddly, uh, you know. Mob ruled phenomenon, but it's kind of interesting. Indeed, how to make things go viral. Those those folks with the Coney video that if they know nothing else, and I don't want to open up that can of worms, but if they know nothing else, they know how to promote something. <laughs> okay. Well, they had a targeted they had on their website where you could just punch on a celebrity's picture, and it would open up a tweet that was already 
said at them and they're and pretty soon some of those celebrities had so many tweets they they came out in favor of it and then it took off mm. but um it was it was a very i saw an analysis of it it was a very purposeful thing that they did although i think i think that i think that that's going to that's going to cause some problems in the future because they tweeted automatically because they were bombarded by these tweets, and like you said, that opens up a whole can of worms, no. and we're not gonna we're, we're not, not gonna, gonna have this conversation tonight. Right no, no. But um, but I think that it's gonna it's gonna create a sense of caution with these celebrities that they really need to there needs to be some discernment with regards to what you're supporting. Yeah, because, because these, it's, it's on, that two-edged sword of YouTube. It doesn't take anything yeah, to put a pretty sharp-looking video up. It's the same. It's the same on the you know on the internet with like you said YouTube or Facebook. There has to be some discernment. Research your shit, guys. If you're gonna support something, research it first. Check it out. Don't just jump on the bandwagon and assume that this is legitimate. You need to check it out. And I say that because. People can take social media to great lengths to take advantage of others. And um, the world is far from perfect place yet. So use use your discernment and follow the guidance of your wise heart and really take a look at what you're, what you're proposing to support. Don't just jump on the bandwagon because everybody else has jumped on the bandwagon. Look at it from an object, objective angle. Yeah, if you refuse to take the time to seek your own guidance about it, I would say if the mass of the film is about a, what's the problem, that's yeah, kind of fear-based, isn't it? Don't go there. Don't go there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Don't go there. It's why we want to make energy. a film about solutions. We, you know, Even some of the films that I really appreciate, the work that's gone into them and the passion of the people that have made them, you, you go see the film and three-quarters of it is what's wrong. Yeah. Let's just let's just all take it as a given that, that, that the system we have is not ideal and not perhaps what we would design it to be if we had our way. So let's have our way and design have it. Have our way and design yeah. it, exactly. So that's the um, design science perspective. You got it. Exactly. So let's concentrate on lighting up. I like this design outlaw. Design outlaws. Yeah, that's a good one. I want to be a design outlaw. Right. We're not going to follow the rules. Goes back to the uh, ancient mariner concept or experience that when the 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 first sailors left the mainland for the new world or to cross the Mediterranean, they left in many, most cases, a feudal system, uh, in many ways feudal and futile system, based on the laws of the king or the, the church or the, the landowner, and that's how things were run. And when they launched their boat to sea, all of a sudden they realized, wait a minute, what laws are we following now? Oh, the laws of nature. The laws of the universe, perhaps they're a little bit more enduring, and perhaps they're the ones that we should be following. So that's how the design outlaw came into being. He was They were the first ones who followed the laws of the universe. And that's, of course, a whole other discourse, what are the laws of the universe. But we talked about one, the law of exchange. Of course, there's others, gravity. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
and uh, good thing that the sun. <laughs> but anyway, so that's like, of course, getting towards a world that works for everyone. It's learning to follow the laws of nature, which really is in the uh, Constitution of the United States, if you read it. I wish more people would. Yeah. <laughs> Bless you, sir, for saying that. True that. True that. They, it, it, it does not precisely say what is going on today. In fact, most of the founding fathers would be clamoring for a revolution. I'm so happy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm so happy. This would be that Thomas Jefferson, you know, revolution every once in a while. It's a good thing, but a little revolution. But, <laughs> every uh, 20 years, right? But then it's like Thomas Edison said, the, the rules thing. He said, "Is rules? There's no rules here. We're trying to accomplish something. And right. um, that's the way it has to be if you're going to really get something accomplished. You have to get rid of the box. Uh-oh. Right. I said it again, Gene. By the way, the Constitution or the Declaration of Independence talks about the laws of nature and of nature's God. So there you go. It's They were more deists than anything else. Yes. Laws of nature and nature's God. That's what it was supposed to lead to, and this democracy thing everybody talks about was not... There's The word democracy doesn't appear in the Declaration or the Constitution. Mm. Well, I tell you, Republic I know Republic appears a lot of places, but... Democracy's not, not working out so good in Canada either, so... <laughs> it's really kind of a thing, um, but... But we appreciate everybody hanging out a little bit longer with us, yeah, and we sure appreciate have. you coming and uh, and chatting with us, Christopher. It's been it's been fun. It's been enlightening. My pleasure. And uh, we hope everybody will join us again next week. We have uh, Rachel Goodwin on Tuesday night. Yes, we who's do. Going to come talk about Sarah. Mm-hmm. She she channels Sarah, and then we have another. Uh, oh gosh, Brandon is several things, but a musician for fun. <laughs> Uh, my brother from another mother up in, and I well, can say that about him. I have lots of brothers. Bill is my brother. Jane's my sister. And, you know, we've never met. How could that be? Well, yeah, you know, it just works out that way. I know a lot of brothers and sisters out there who have never met. So that's, and then of but course, that's a whole other show. Geraldo, where are you? The following week we have Inez that we talked about, and then we have Kofi Baker and Tony Spinner coming mm-hmm. on Thursday the 12th. From the Cream Revival Tour. What, what? Ginger Baker's own son, so he has the right to do that since Ginger was in Cream. Right on. Uh, Tony was the lead singer for uh, uh, Toto. So mm. it, uh, I'm sure, will be a, another one of our exciting nights. We just have so much fun and hang out with such cool people. We do. We do hang out with such cool and people. And we appreciate y'all coming. Sir. Absolutely. Been fun. We will talk more, I hope. You come back and see us sometime. I think we should get the guy with the dome on here. Yeah, Peter Kettenbell. I'll, I'll give you his uh, correspondence. Yeah, Excellent. absolutely do that. You hook me up with you. him since hey, he lives in the same uh, town as you. I think uh, 20 minutes away from me. Yeah. Uh-oh. Least, yeah. Here we go. He's a yeah. character. Oh, good. I like yeah. both. We, we like have a trailer <laughs> also. We have a trailer of this project. We have a little film trailer. Five minutes. Oh, that's awesome. I'm very All right. Cool. Very cool. Well, yeah, we'll put man, we'll put that in our archive of the show tonight, so everybody can have a look. Okay. Uh, that or the trail. Oh, we'll see. We may just put all kind of stuff in there. We can do that. We have I the like technology. That. Well, all, all right, right I folks. Like that, Rick. Everybody have a wonderful weekend and uh, join us on Tuesday. And until then, stay connected. 
Join Rick and Jean again next time. Until then, visit their website at everydayconnection.me and be sure to like their Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash everydayconnection. Worried you might miss an episode? Don't worry. Subscribe. Find us on iTunes by searching for Everyday Connection Radio. Subscriptions are free, just like your Everyday Connection. Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com. Juicy sizzling steak, hand-tossed original dough, a four-cheese blend, and Papa John's creamy signature Philly sauce. It's like the best cheesesteak sandwich ever, but way better, because it's on a pizza, which means you can share it. So show some brotherly or whateverly love and get yourself one today. Right now at Papa John's, get a large Philly or any large specialty Papa John's pizza for just 12 bucks. Yes, 12 bucks. Better ingredients, better pizza, Papa John's. At participating U.S. stores, prices may vary. Tax and tip and fee extra.